0: Denver Denver I'm run Denver 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 I'm run Denver 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 I'm from Denver Denver
1: Denver I'm from Denver 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 I'm Denver 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 Gotcha, Denver. Hi, it's Ron Doyle. I'm just kidding. We're actually still on our two week vacation. Yeah, we've got one more week left. We're bringing a guest podcast to you today. Uh, but I wanted to let you know, just to, sort of sharing what we've been up to. We're calling this a vacation for the podcast, but the truth is, me and my co hosts have been super busy. Uh, Josh Johnson, in addition to doing all of his work with Geek Who, Geeks Who Drink, has taken over the Hey Reverb, Steal This track blog at heyreverb.com uh eric i'll pass the torch along to him that's very cool he's writing about music one of his favorite things ever Uh, vanessa in addition to working with Capost and her other clients has been working her butt off uh all summer long at farmer's markets all around the state uh selling kebabs at pinchos which is her family's business uh they do every summer amazing spanish inspired kebabs oh so good uh, Joel just got back from Peru uh, where he was traveling with the humor code and, uh, you know, hanging out with Patch Adams and like a hundred clowns in the jungle. So there you go. Uh, I have been launching websites left and right all summer long. I've got stories coming out in Breckenridge magazine and Fort Collins magazine. And uh, most notably, uh, recently I had a big website launch for Trotta, a big startup in Boulder. So that's very cool. And Jared, I texted him. I never heard back, which is a pretty good indication that he's also ridiculously busy doing his thing. So there you go. That's what we're up to. I also wanted to share a couple event announcements uh, since we haven't been around to do any loves or hates or let you know about what's going on in town. Uh, Number one, the USA Pro Challenge. I'm a bike geek, so I have to tell you about this. It's August 20th, 26th, this whole coming week. It's going to be traveling all throughout the state. It's going to finish up in Denver all week long. Illegal Pete's downtown will be having fat tire specials and giveaways during watching parties where you can go, you watch on TV, see what's going on. And, and then on, on the final day of the race on August 26th downtown, they're going to be giving away these really cool custom new Belgium globe glasses and a new Belgium cruiser bike. If, watching bicycle races is not really your thing please go to the too much funstable it's august 23rd to 26th it's brought to you by the fine gentlemen at the fine gentlemen's club the comedy troupe here in town (laughs) they have promised dunk tanks music comedy lucha libre wrestling dance parties water balloons i don't even know where to start with this thing it's only in its second year and it's getting really really fun if you want to just feel like you're a kid for a, a weekend. This is it. And everything, all the events are five bucks or less. Most of them are free. You really got to go check this out. Uh, again, that's too much funstable. Just Google it or look it up on Facebook. Uh, so, so that's what's going on around town. This week, we are bringing you a guest podcast from Machine Readable, which is a podcast that is produced by the Arapaho Library District. They are bringing to you... Uh, an episode of theirs called The Dead House Thing from Outer Space Under the Hill of the House of the Witch of the Dead, Cthulhu. Or is it Cthulhu? I can never get that right. Anyway, these guys, uh, if you've never heard this podcast before, they are a science fiction and fantasy podcast. They talk about books. They talk about games. They talk about movies. They talk about comics. They get it deep, deep way under the skin down to the bone of geek culture and uh you know i share with them a a hatred of russell crowe and for that reason alone i love them and uh so here it is if you love it go check them out at aldmachine.org so without further ado here's episode 32 of machine readable and episode 91 of denver diatribe thanks everybody we'll see you next week Bye.
2: It's Tuesday, August 7th, and you're listening to the Machine Rebel Podcast, a podcast about many things in geek culture, sci-fi, fantasy, graphic novels, etc. Uh, I am here with our usual partners in crime, Mark Mullis. Say hello to good people, Mark.
3: Oh, I can do that. Hi,
2: hi good people. And Nick Taylor. Hi, everybody. And after a uh, long, long break of me not getting to see his uh, handsome face in a Google Hangout box... <laughs> Uh, we have Mr. Chris Rippey with us. Chris Rippey. Hey, what's up? Good to have you back, Chris. Thanks. This is
3: here in pure troubadour style. I see a banjo draped across his shoulder. Um,
4: At any point, I might need to bust into a sing-song description of what it, what it is I'm telling you. I, you know, you
2: know, Chris, my um, my wife. This is about three years back. Very casually mentions one day. I think I'd like to learn how to play the banjo, and I took that as, "Wouldn't that be a great gift for her?" And I bought her a very inexpensive banjo, and it, um, she's, I think, scared of it. Oh,
0: I think you need like a banjo, or you need a porch to be able to properly play the banjo.
3: Yeah, do you guys remember the Super Nintendo video game Phalanx? <laughs> i know exactly no. what you're talking about yes the old banjo playing guy on the cover for no reason whatsoever <laughs>
0: yeah it was like a shoot 'em up game yeah. and they had like yeah an old man on the cover yeah yes. nobody knows why
3: that is going to be chris one day the old yeah. man on the cover of phalanx i
4: mean i aspire to that basically nothing but that <laughs> you're just gonna spend well, your days doing uh, really nothing but banjo playing and whittling and whittling and uh there will be a shotgun propped up next to me and a dog with three legs at my feet. Only eating things that are made out of wooden spoons. <laughs> Only Eating things with wooden spoons. Yep. And I'll have a spittoon that will go ding every, you know, minute or two as I spit whatever <laughs> I'm chewing on into it.
2: Uh well, you know what guys? Uh actually being the old man at the table, uh forgive me if I'm a little off today because I was up way late um last night. I are recording this uh the night before Tuesday. Oh uh, you up were way watching uh, Sunday
3: uh, night. Yeah, you were watching Missy Franklin talk to Justin Bieber, weren't you?
2: I was. And yeah. um, you know, really I think we finally got to know the soul of just No, I was watching Curiosity Land. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know about you guys, but I, I just flipped out watching this thing we i mean you gotta think about this for a moment we took a nuclear powered mini cooper and we gently put it on the ground of mars using a floating crane it's I I think it's the best unmanned space achievement since Voyager. I I just did you guys watch any of this? It was so exciting.
3: Yeah, I like pulled up the like I was uh you know in bed freeing the iPad and I was like, "Oh, I th- I think the uh the Curiosity landing's coming out here pretty soon." And I like jumped on Twitter and sure enough, it was like people were like, "We're in the 7 minutes of terror." And I was like, "Oh, oh my god, I have to find a feed. I have to find a feed." And like, yep, yeah, successfully found one and just in time to see like a bunch of NASA scientists looking tense and bored um they probably weren't bored but they definitely looked tense and i was like this this is terrible why did why did i seek this out and like at the moment i was like what What am i doing I, I go go to bed it was like you heard the words uh you know we have touchdown or you a know, touchdown confirmed whatever it was and then the entire like just this giant room full of nerds just erupts in like the most rapturous cheers i'd ever seen it was really cool and, oh, and, I rolled the birthplace of a thousand internet GIFs. Just, like, so many cheering dorks. It was amazing.
1: So, um,
2: <laughs> did we get any images from the actual uh, machine yet? We did. That was what was so cool. So, Because it's going to take, like, a full day to, like, have the camera come out safely. and It's going to take, like, a full day for the antenna to come out. But because of the current Mars orbiter that we have, uh, the moment it landed, it was able to shoot just, like, a little tiny 64-pixel by 64-pixel shot and send that out, and they did a, a higher-resolution one, like a 256-pixel shot. And you could see the wheel, and you could see its shadow. And and then, uh, if you guys have not seen this picture already, the orbiter itself was able to snap a picture of when uh, Curiosity was parachuting down, and it's the most amazing picture. Oh, I like, haven't
3: seen that one yet. Oh,
2: That's really it's, cool. oh, that it's awesome. awesome.
3: Did NASA it, throw a uh, sepia-tone, like, hipster Instagram filter on it?
2: <laughs> I've, I saw a few few tweets saying, I wonder which Instagram filter they're going to use. But no, just black and white.
3: <laughs> yeah, because unless there's uh, metadata, like fake metadata, I don't even want any part of it.
2: Although, I, it did crack me up. So, you know, the Curiosity rover has its own Twitter feed. It's just like, at Mars Curiosity. And um, they took a. not I, I don't want to say that he invented it, but he uses it all the time. They, they took a Will Wheaton ism, which Will yes. Wheaton was actually at the JPL, and where um, Mars Curiosity tweeted, "Gale Crater, I am in you," <laughs> and made me so happy. It was just uh, it, it, this is such a great achievement. I just cannot believe that an idea this crazy got pulled off.
3: It, it's it's pretty much yeah. This was definitely like I I, I suspect to some degree. NASA probably overstated for dramatic effect the possibility that this mission would be a colossal failure. Um, but Well no but
2: have you looked at a track record? All right? Meters to, to, <laughs> that is, that is to standard? Yes. Like, uh, you know, they've had some... They basically were shooting 50-50 on getting things on Mars so, in one piece.
3: Um, but no, I think this is a huge accomplishment for uh, JPL. This is, like, a huge accomplishment for, like, America's space program. And, frankly, this is, like, the most exciting thing to happen in space exploration for a long time. Um, Oh, yeah. It's really disappointing that, like, as we continue to have all this success with unmanned space probes, it just seems to diminish the possibility of further manned spaceflight um, or, you know, spaceflight to a place like Mars. Just, you know, something I sure would (laughs) like to see happen in my lifetime.
2: I think you will. I really do. I think, I think this rover is going to be a key reason why the, the data we're going to gather from this. I mean, it's got a two year mission. And if it's, you know, any bit as sturdy as, um, spirit and opportunity, it may even be longer. So, no, I, uh, oh, so excited. Just, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll post a link to the, the parachute picture because that's one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. So, speaking of space exploration,
3: I was going to say, speaking of like two year missions to seek out new life
2: and new civilizations. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mark, you, uh, you read a book that I actually started, but I'm only, I'm only like 30 pages in. But you've, uh, you read a book that is a, um, well, it, it, it's an homage to one of our favorite sci-fi TV shows. Um, do, you want, do you want to tell us about the book you've been reading?
3: First, I'd like to question your use of the uh, clause one of, um, because there's no one of the favorite sci-fi TV shows. <laughs> yeah, Star, Star Trek stands alone. Uh, so no, no, I recently read Redshirts by John Scalzi. Um, I know Jason started it, and Chris, you've read it as well, correct?
4: I have read it, yeah, and very recently.
3: So, um, before we have this conversation, it probably helps to start with a bit of context about who John Scalzi is. Um, Scalzi is the author of several really popular pulpy science fiction novels, including Old Man's War and Fuzzy Nation, and he's the owner of the much-beloved blog, Whatever. He's also the uh, president of the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. So... He's friends with all the dudes and ladies, and what I have decided I'm going to start calling the Al round Roundtable, which is like the <laughs> Will Wheatons and Felicia Days of the world. Did
2: you, did you come up with that? I did. That's I, I'm amazing. I'm sure someone
3: else came up with that also.
2: We have to... I'm going to start Googling that. We have to make that a meme. That's okay. amazing. <laughs> um, so
3: the difference between John Scalzi and Will Wheaton and etc. is that Scalzi has actual legitimate geek cred. Yeah. Um, <sighs> That was <laughs> that was
2: that was for you too. So angry. So I, I I okay. I want to make it publicly known that I bought a, a Kindle copy of Just a Geek by Will Wheaton for Mark to read to understand why people love Will. Wheaton. I will
3: I will get to it. It is oh, yes, I have things still... that need to be read. But anyway, so Red Shirts, Red Shirts is John Scalzi's latest novel. It's it was released in June by Tor Books. Um, And it's inspired by one of the oldest tropes in science fiction, specifically the old Star Trek joke. Um, In in many Star Trek episodes, Captain Kirk, Spock, Spock, and Dr. McCoy would beam down to a planet along with one other just totally random crew member. And this crew member would typically be wearing a red uniform signifying his role as a security officer for the mission. And he was supposed to be an, on- an armed escort, but instead he was really just there to die dramatically, um, and hence the term Red Shirt, which means an in- inconsequential, char- inconsequential character who exists only to be killed. Um, so the book Red Shirts is set on a spaceship called the Intrepid. It's not actually set in the Star Trek universe, it's not actually a Star Trek parody, but it's very much inspired by this idea. And the spaceship Intrepid is known for its incredibly high crew casualty rate. Um, mysteriously, of course, the members of the bridge crew, the captain, the first officer, etc they never die. They're always saved just in the nick of time. And the less important crew members are constantly dying all around them. So, um, the main character is a new ensign assigned to the intrepid. He starts to realize that things aren't quite right, that people on the intrepid behave in ways that make no sense. Um, particularly when exciting things are happening, the sort of things that would be portrayed in a science fiction TV show. So it's a pretty absurd premise. Um, I think it works pretty well. Chris, what did you think?
4: Oh, I thought all kinds of things about it. Uh, Honestly, when I I first started reading it, um, I was like, how long can this joke last? Uh, I didn't really know where it was going to go or what it was going to do. Honestly, sci-fi comedy is probably the very last genre on my list of books that I read. I think I read like half of Hitchhiker's Guide and then watched the movie You know, and I basically stayed away from everything comedy sci-fi. So uh, when my buddy Derek recommended this to me, I was like, all right, cool. He didn't actually recommend it. He bought it, and it was instantly delivered to my Kindle. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, all right, I'll read it. And, um, yeah, at first I wasn't sure where the joke was going, but I thought it was pretty funny. But then I was pretty surprised. Um, It's kind of like an episode of Star Trek unto itself. They end up not to be too spoiling, but they end up going to modern day
3: LA, of course. Right. Um, you we're know producers and, uh, are making terrible television shows. Yeah,
4: yeah, and it reminded me of a few episodes of Star Trek I've seen and also like Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> when they go back to Earth in nineteen
3: eighty something. We're talking about Galactica nineteen eighty, not, not yeah. uh, the reboot Battlestar Galactica that no. most people are familiar with.
4: Although I was really hoping in the reboot they would have come to, like, 2005 Earth or something. They did at
3: the very end, remember? And it was awful. It had no sense of humor whatsoever. Oh, uh, Uh, Let's not remember that. Yeah, well, Okay. So John Scalzi, I saw an interview with him not long ago where he actually um, basically owned the fact that sci-fi comedy neither works generally and never, ever sells. Um, Basically, like, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy came out and publishers thought, like, whoa, sci-fi comedy, this is going to be a thing. And... A million par- uh, like imitation books came out, and none of them worked but Scalzi's books they've kind of i mean they've always had some humor to them they've've kind of been dancing around being a sci-fi comedy for a while now um, and I think Chris you kind of nailed it what what makes this book work isn't the Star Trek parody because I, I personally I think Star Trek parodies are about the only thing in the universe that are more tired than Star Wars parodies. But it's the weird metafictional aspect of this book. I think that's yeah. what really makes it work. It's the weird Twilight zone sort of direction the story takes.
4: Yeah, there's some really cool, really cool moments. And I think... Yeah, sorry about the siren in the... Uh, in the back. What manner of siren is that? It's like the, it sounded like anyway. a cat meowing. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say dying animal siren of some sort. <laughs> um, but any, at any rate, um, I think the strength of the book lies on transcending its premise transcending the joke transcending the you know ironic laughs and getting to the well we're on like sort of a he's sort of spinning an adventure yarn you know these guys are running around and it's absurd yeah but it's absurd in that kind of really fun really fun way so uh, I tore through it although I do have an objection again without spoiling too much I didn't I don't really want to think too much when I was reading that book (laughs) And um, I, I didn't have to most of the time. And until the end, when it just sort of threw this one little what-if lady and the tiger kind of question or something, and I was just like, what? <laughs> and then when it ended, I was mad that it remained pretty unresolved. And I was like, "Why? I'm not going to go back and like read and try to figure out what happened in any way, shape, or form. So I haven't Googled it yet, but I want to find out what people really think. As oh, far as, you know I'm what I'm curious. talking about, Mark?
3: We're, we will take this conversation off the air. Yeah, very, uh, yeah. yeah. So basically, no, it's just the
4: conversation he has at, at the very end with his best buddy, who he's like, what was your role in the whole thing? Sure. Yeah. And is there someone or something else that's beyond what was described in the story? And it's like,
3: yes, there was, but not, I won't tell you. Yes, not too many spoilers there or anything.
1: Uh,
2: yes. <laughs> I, hey, listen, I'm still going to uh, finish reading it. I, I, I literally just started it because it came up on my library hold shelf just a few days ago. Um, but I I do have to say, one of the things I really love about it is it's Star Trek. Like, I'm visualizing Star Trek in my brain as I'm reading it, I think, as I'm supposed to. Um, but they have lots of modern devices, like, you mm-hmm. know, iPads and uh, cell phones. And well, they don't email. call them
3: iPads, but they're tablet computers. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They have tablet computers and they talk about emailing people and they talk about texting people. And and um, it, that's definitely one of the things that, that sort of cracked me up and seemed really practical. And, and in fact, they even make fun of of the Star Trek, you know, oeuvre. Uh, of you know where he gets instructions. The main character gets instructions to um, deliver uh, some news in person to the science officer. And like, well, why <laughs> and don't I just right. email him? That makes right. no sense. Like, like <laughs> why no, would no, I go
3: look- all the way up to the bridge to talk to him?
2: What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, and I thought that today when I emailed someone that literally sits three feet away from me. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was. It, it's from what I've read so far, it's a very funny book. I'm I'm really enjoying the heck out of it. Sounds like John
0: Scalzi set his phaser to fun. (laughs) Uh,
4: Yeah, twenty minutes of silence, uh, and that's what you get, guys. uh, Welcome to the podcast, Nick.
2: Nick, Nick, let's uh, yeah, let's get let's get your voice on this uh, this podcast that that you're actually the co-host of, and uh, you read a graphic novel recently, correct?
0: I totally did. Um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with "Out the Mountains of Madness" by H.P. Lovecraft. Classic, indeed. Have any of you made it through the story? Yes. No, not
2: all of it. No, no, no. Um, Three times.
0: Chris, would you say it is uh, obtuse, impenetrable even?
2: Did
3: you say it was by H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft?
4: No, I don't think so. I read it in the middle of a, a huge anthology of Lovecraft, though, actually towards the end. So I was totally steeped in all the ridiculous names and the mythology to the point where I kind of thought i got it i don't know if i actually did but i think um as lovecraft gained steam in his writing career anyway it seems to me um the uh the mythology started to sort of cohere a bit even though it was really and he started to draw in his earlier uh works and sort of start to tie up all the loose ends so that you know you get this lovecraftian mythology instead of just isolated stories even if those isolated stories in the beginning weren't originally written with that in mind. You know what I mean? He kind of adopted them. Um, but by that time, yeah, I was so steeped in that, that I didn't, think it was, I didn't think it was obtuse or impenetrable at all. I thought it was a pretty straightforward, based on, again, it I might just be because I had so much background at that point. So that was all I was reading.
0: Uh, Chris, yeah, I'm, I'm kind just... of more on the boat where I read it, and I kind of thought I understood it. But mm. uh, Into the Library rolls At the Mountains of Madness graphic novel by I.N.J. Colbert. Uh, and I say, well, that sounds like a really easy way to just kind of blow through this and have it explained to me. And it kind of did. Oh, <laughs> oh. it's got like this like Tintin art, uh, by Air cool. So it's like this very like simple, like line art that looks kind of old timey and adventurey, which
4: feels very proper for a bunch of like
0: thirties scientists. It's
4: actually by entering. What's that? It's actually by what's a who's a what's the guy who did Tintin. Air no, it's not by Perger. It's Perger. Okay, it's it's The art just looks like that. I see, I see.
0: Um, and that, so that felt so proper for these, like, 30s scientists going into Antarctica. I know uh, Jeremiah, our uh, occasional co-host, was just completely thought that was wrong and that it, it didn't look like it should be, you know, Lovecraft illustrated, but I thought really thought it worked.
3: Oh, he thought <laughs> it looked too co- sort of, like, cartoony and playful? Yeah, pretty much. Was that, as, like, I, So I.N.J. Culbert is the uh, artist here? Correct. Okay.
2: I so, You know, I can kind of see that point, though, because, I mean, what little I do know about Lovecraft, isn't the idea that these horrors are so unspeakable that... <laughs> he has to write 16 synonyms for unspeakable in one
4: yeah. sentence?
0: Um, yes. it, admittedly, it did definitely lack the, like, indescribable
4: horrors and the sense of dread that's why they can't make movies out of this stuff. It's like in Call of Cthulhu, when they go up on that weird island, it's like impossible angles that you couldn't possibly imagine even if I described them to you because they defy description. You know, that sort of language abounds. And it's kind of like, how are you going to make a visual representation of something that's supposed to be a hallucination that's beyond, beyond uh, our regular dimensions? As you know? entertaining
3: as well, that stuff is, there's no one who actually finds it like, horrifying because it's a total cop-out.
2: Right, but we're supposed to at least buy into the fact that these things are are so horrifying to the characters that they go insane. Uncertainty is pretty horrifying. Wait, are you saying that
4: Lovecraft isn't horrifying, or are you saying that those particular descriptions aren't horrifying?
3: I am saying that as much as I enjoy Lovecraft, I think it is very much fun to read around a campfire in campy, dramatic fashion, (laughs) loudly. And um, that's about the only real use for that.
4: Okay, I would say that you need to spend a little bit more time with it. First of all, it's like a piece of classical music in the sense that you have to imagine the time before recording. You have to imagine the time before, um, uh, you know, uh, the electric guitar. And put yourself into what the audience heard at that time. Yeah. And, and I So think... you put yourself be- before modern horror fiction of any kind. Sure. And, and, and then start really reading engaging, this stuff.
3: But it's not going to be viscerally scary. Okay, okay. But there's a story
4: uh, about. Uh, oh, what's it called? The, the, they're all the same name. Like a dead <laughs> house thing from outer space under the hill of the house of the witch of the dead of Cthulhu. It's like, you know, they're all uh, the m- same. Show <laughs> So. Um, but there's one where the, the guy I don't goes know into. If I can play, fit that uh,
3: into one of the little side panel squares on our website. Otherwise, <laughs> yes.
4: <laughs> so uh, this guy goes into like a basement, and uh, there's some evil horror lurking underneath. And despite all the the campiness, you know that you're gonna have. Um, on, Lovecraft has this uncanny way of describing, starting to describe horror using elements that are already disturbing in real life. For instance, like you you walk down a really old staircase to a really dank basement and you get that smell and a certain amount of humidity and moisture and blah, blah. blah. And everybody's really experienced that has been like, Ugh, this feels funky and wrong. You take that funky, he takes that describes it perfectly. So you know exactly what it is. And then adds a supernatural element to it that, you know, has that unknown quality, you know, that sort of lurking darkness, the hulking, lurking dark terror at wherever in Massachusetts or Vermont. In and, smell. um, or Rhode Island, yeah, Innsmouth, and it, uh, and, and I think it really works. I think if you sit up, and, you know, and you're just chilling, and you read that at two in the morning, and you're like, ah, and and then it gets a little ridiculous, but it gives you that sci-fi fun, campy fix. But I think that real horror nugget. I think he taught other authors how to write convincing horror, and I think it's it's wrong to underestimate his ability to do that. Even if today we can't go back and experience it in the same way. Uh.
0: I, th- I think there's something to be said in terms of adapting his work. Um I, I don't think we have to worry too much about spoiling like this what 80 year old story here more than that. Um, it's amazing that it's that old. There are giant penguins that eventually show the scientists around. Wait, which... did I say
3: this wasn't scary? I take it back. I take it back.
0: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, giant no, penguins show
3: creepy.
0: up and I'm just like, uh, uh, "Okay, okay." Um, and yeah, and then they like, they draw Cthulhu and they draw the Shugoths and they're just, it's just not that, yeah, it's just all this lead up to, and it's just like, oh, that's what they look like.
4: Wait, 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 wait. Like, did they go to the like, city and everything? The subterranean yeah. thing? And that wasn't scary at all. No, dude, it was like a big
0: skyscraper city. Like, that's, you know.
4: I, I, okay, yeah, well, then well, the sky problem with
3: Instead of saying like, "Oh, it's unspeakably terrifying," it's like, "Hey, here's some Tintin art showing what it looks like." Like that's not yeah, that is be- a problem,
4: and that's why <laughs> that's like beautiful. the movie Lost Horizon never worked because the in the book they talk about how sh- the Shangri La, and he leaves out almost every major description, so that your fantasy, yes. you know, of peace is projected onto the book, and that's what you see Shangri La as. And I think H.P. Lovecraft does the inverse, and so your fantasy of terror you know he starts with elements you know and then he gives you a big blank canvas to project your your fears onto if you just draw that with tintin tin, I, I don't know i haven't seen it but it seems seems lame
0: <laughs> well and the, the art works fantastically for yeah the like scientists embarking on an antarctic adventure for sure but yeah when it gets into the horrific elements that's when the kind of the cracks start kind of showing through
3: Hmm. Do you know what I think the most terrifying and horrible and, and excruciating uh, Lovecraft adaptation is? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I would say the board game Mansions of Madness.
2: Oh, oh yeah.
3: <laughs> um, probably like every time our, like our co-host Jeremiah we play board games with regularly, and every time he would bust out that box, just shivers of terror would run down what my spine. It, uh, Indescribable how you compare terror? to Call
4: of Cthulhu? Because that was pretty insane. You mean Arkham fun. Horror? Arkham Horror, I'm sorry, yeah. Arkham Horror
3: is an imperfect but pretty fun game. Games of Madness is like if you made Clue take four hours, and instead Uh. of like everyone having like an equal fun chance of winning, like. Basically, one person gets to play the forces of darkness, and that person just gets to have fun the entire time, while the rest of you get to just sit there and, you know, get kicked in the groin. That's what playing Mansions of Madness well, is
4: like. I remember yeah. Arkham Asylum. It's all based Asi-
3: on Lovecraftian mythology, so.
4: Arkham, Arkham Horror was uh, um, weighted really towards the demon as well. Well, didn't you get to, like, a big fight at the end with the yeah. huge demon, and you always...
2: Well, yeah, Here's- Here's my biggest problem with with that game, Arkham Horror, is that the little monsters, you had no means of teaming up to beat them, and sometimes you get, like, five vampires piled up in the same space, and it's like, the game's <laughs> over. I can't move around, because I can't get past this one space. But uh, at the end, you all get to team up to fight the giant monster. And it's like, so, what? You you is it that you learn teamwork? That's your special power <laughs> at the end?
3: It's like, it you're like, no wait, sense. hold on. Your ring has earth, mine has wind. Where <laughs> hey, can we yeah. go with this?
2: I need heart. Uh, so... So, where Mark has his least favorite uh, Lovecraft adaptation, I'm going to mention uh, two of my favorites. Um, one, real briefly, uh, you all know I'm a huge fan of Planetary. There was a spin off Planetary book that crossed over Planetary with uh, another Warren Ellis title, The Authority. And they fight Lovecraftian monsters and actually flash back to Elijah Snow in the 1920s meeting H.P. Lovecraft. And it's the most amazing thing ever. That um, sounds it- pretty awesome. And then uh, there's a role-playing game I actually really want to try sometime called De Profundis by an uh, author from Poland who I can't pronounce his name at all. But it's it's a role-playing game entirely done in letters. And so he gives you a variety of options to play it in. But the idea is that um, like, you can write each other physical handwritten letters where you each play a character from the 20s uncovering some sort of H.P. Lovecraft horror And then uh, you can also, like, write each other modern letters or modern emails of, like, you yourself living in a world where you discovered something maybe about the past. It's very meta and crazy, but it's role-playing through letters, and I really want to try it sometime. So
3: you played it for, like, several weeks?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A game could take, like, six months, yeah
3: this let's let let's do this tomorrow i
2: know i want to do
3: it <laughs> yep chris is in okay, Nick's i'm there, so there, in but yep
2: yeah no and my and my wife and i've been talking about playing it for a while i'll uh i'll send you pdfs of, of Hell yes. it's pretty yeah, dude, that
3: sounds so awesome
2: yeah yeah I have, I especially because i can adopt my old victorian
4: letter writing voice yes. no you totally need that voice <laughs> that's exactly it yeah Oh. That's one that, you know, it's like if you read enough classic books or something, you start thinking in that voice and you accidentally talk to your wife like that. And she's like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> so it's something that I've been sort of st- storing up in the back of my mind for...
3: Yeah, I started you know, reading some Olaf stapled in the other day. And for the rest of the day, I was singing this ridiculously like, florid, like academic prose. <laughs>
4: that's my favorite. And that's another reason I love Lovecraft. It's just so... Uh-oh. it's just, yeah, florid is really the word,
2: isn't it? We'll, we'll totally get this rolling. I actually think this would be amazing. So I'll, uh, I'll shoot you the PDF. It's, it's a cool, cool game. So uh, I'm going to talk about something dumb. Yes, <laughs> I, uh, I've been uh, watching some TV. That's not the Olympics. Um, as you well know, if you've been a long-time listener, I'm a huge fan of Alphas, the sci-fi superhero show. And season two just started. And it's amazing. It's so good. It is so good. It's back to a great, great start. So um, Where do I find this show? You find watch. it on, on the uh, the CIFI network, uh, uh-huh. sci-fi, however you pronounce it nowadays. Yeah. But it's on the sci-fi <laughs> network. Um, you can also, season
3: one is out on DVD, and you know the usual digital the usual
2: means. Yeah. And season two is the they keep the last four episodes, I think, on Hulu, so you can get caught up. Uh, and I don't want to really spoil too much, but basically end of season one, it ended in a huge kind of dun-dun-dun, you know, bomb dropped on the whole plot and everything, and somehow they did a great job picking it up. They're, they've had to deal with the consequences of the the choices they made in season one. It does sort of get back to its routine somewhat quickly, but it's at least believable, and what I'm really excited about is they've established this rivalry Between this one Alpha who is uh, very, very old, he sort of has like a not-aging healing ability of some sort named Stanton Parrish, and Dr. Rosen, who's the leader of the Alpha's team. And it's this cool relationship. The only thing I can think of that's anything like it is um, Magneto and Charles Xavier. Um, but in this case, like Stan Parrish, like wants the best for Doctor Rosen, and he realizes Doctor Rosen is an important part of the fight for Alpha freedom and Alpha rights. But at the same time, he is his like mortal enemy in terms of wanting his Alphas to like just go blow stuff up and cause chaos in the universe. So it's so uh, it's a good conflict. They they are not pulling a Heroes season two here. Uh, I've only caught the pilot, and they've had two episodes so far. A pilot, the, the first episode of season two. But so far, fingers crossed, it started strong. I was really happy with how Season 2 started. So we'll, we'll have to see. If they if they pull Heroes, I will cry because I love this show way more than I ever Yeah,
3: watched.
4: what happened with Heroes? It was moderately entertaining to start with. And then the second season was I stopped really quick, completely lost my interest. I don't know.
2: That's a universal phenomenon then? I Well, the thing is there's been so few real legitimate attempts at a superhero show because I think – the structure of a weekly tv serial compared to a monthly comic book is very different mm. and i i i'm amazed alphas has done as well as they have because it i'm i'm just i'm dreading that I might just fall off the cliff but so far i've been so impressed with this show
3: don't, <laughs> it, is don't it even act like, ratings don't even act like the cape wasn't a serious attempt at a superhero drama okay <laughs> <laughs> that, ooh
2: man, that yeah, that, that show did not look good. The, the
3: cape <laughs> was neither what we wanted nor
0: what we needed.
2: <laughs> I see what Nick did there. Uh, speaking what, of some I, superheroes. I see it. <laughs> speaking of some superheroes, I think we have some news. Um, Nick, did, did, let's uh, let's start with this uh, this bit about uh, the next X Men movie.
0: Yeah. Um, so. Are you guys fans of the X-Men animated series in the 90s? Because oh, if yeah. you're not, then you're fired. No, no. <laughs> I, I mean,
2: even, even though it was like, you know, thankfully I, I had the legitimacy to watch it because I was a college student and college students watching cartoons of any sort is cool. So,
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly what you do. And I, and I have never Claremont seen a
3: single episode of the X-Men animated series. Uh, I actually kind uh, of forgot that it even existed. Uh, Can I be kicked off this podcast even though I'm a founding member? Possibly. <laughs> we, we need to look at the charter. How does that work? <laughs> yeah. Let's look at the we'll, HOA Bible. We'll machine-readable charter. The
4: strength of the theme song of that X-Men show
3: alone, I love it. But then yeah. there's
4: actually good content. After Chris, the banjo that right now.
3: But was it just a bad re-recording of the song Wild Thing? No, that's... No. What are you name? talking about? <laughs> So, I will say anyway, this, have you guys seen... Chris, wait, can you actually bust that song out on banjo by some miraculous chance?
4: Um, <laughs> yeah, it would take me a few horrible attempts before I die in. Think so I, think I'll I right actually there.
3: kind of think that's worth it.
4: Oh, man. This uh, is good on radio,
3: Chris. Let's do uh, this. I can't. No, I can't
4: Come do on. It. Through the magic no, of the
2: exit.
0: Let's
3: get in there. Let's get in there. I can't do it. In well, in no, don't put the banjo the magic away. Magic. You'll never have your triumphant victory at the end.
4: No, no, you know I'll bust out the, the full arranged X-Men theme for you next time, I promise.
3: Oh, all right. Uh-ho. Really? Don't tease you me. You it's, on,
4: it's on now. No, promise? you should hear my arrangement Capital? of We Three Kings, man. I'll kill this thing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> those songs are pretty much the same thing, too, so...
4: Exactly the same real feeling yes. to those. Yeah.
0: So, the uh, sequel to the fantastic and well-received X-Men First Class will be getting X-Men Days of Future Past. And Ooh. I was asking you guys about the animated series because that was actually a two-parter in the first season in which uh, Bishop essentially goes to the future, kicks a bunch of sentinel butt, then Wolverine shows up and kicks more sentinel butt, and it's just like kind of a dystopian futuristic romp. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in. I'm definitely in. I re- I really like it because it sounds like it's it sounds like what they haven't done yet, you know. I I like, don't know I, who I really, Bishop
3: or the Sentinels are. <laughs> I gotta be totally so, honest
0: here. So Bishop is this awesome black dude who has the power to absorb shots and store that energy to shoot it off later, perhaps in the future.
3: What kind
1: of shots? I remember are we Bishop. About here? He's awesome, like Jack, yeah.
3: or like Tank Ray, or I mean, yeah. Are they going to have Cable in this at any point? Uh,
4: seems possible. But... I really like... This is going to be a continuation of the... the, the... Why is Chris
3: talking about Cable? I, I really don't understand this conversation at all. <laughs> what does Comcast have to do with anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, as, uh, you,
0: that You do bring up a good point, though. As, as one who loves me in some X-Men comics, like they don't get any more convoluted than when they start time traveling. I don't even understand how that was a good point!
3: Sorry, guys. <laughs> and is <Crystal's laughs> dog agrees with you. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it, it, I, I'm it, sure that... Wait, how, I just you feel know what? so square right now. <laughs> Dudes, I gotta bail. All Thanks right. for joining us, Chris. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast, like always. See you, man. Yeah, thanks I for having me, guys. I'll I, we talk will to you soon. hold you to that promise of a fully arranged X Men theme song.
4: The X Men theme song. Although, is... as I've
3: already betrayed, I don't even. I, you could just play We Three Kings, and I'd probably be like that was an amazing rendition. Mark, of the
4: X-Men it, X-Men it is theme. We Three Kings. That's it. You just the the X Men titles come on. We Three Kings starts playing. <laughs>
3: yeah. I I want to believe that that's true, but I feel like you're taking advantage of my ignorance in these matters.
4: Uh, I would never take advantage of you in any way. All right, guys. I'll see you later. Thanks,
2: thanks, Chris. Thanks, see ya. <laughs> thanks, Chris. So uh, anyway, Jason and not Mark. Um, I'm pretty excited about this. No, I, I think it could really work. That, the X-Men First Class was good. I, I can't remember if I talked about this before, but as much as I loved X-Men First Class, the, uh, the training montage was kind of one of the most incredible things ever because it ended with like a montage that looks like it was like maybe two or three years of training and then, and then, um, uh, Mystique just saying, "You know, the past week has just been so incredible." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh
0: yes, 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 that's about best." She told us bad. it was a montage.
2: Yeah. Oh, so good, so good. Um, no, and you know what? Speaking of the cartoons, though, have you guys uh, seen that uh, actually currently running Avengers cartoon? No. No. It's really not bad. I've actually I've had a, a chance to watch it a few times with my uh, with my four year old goddaughter, and it's. I, we're equally entertained, but it does have the worst theme song. It, it, it's it's like it's like I'd take Wild Thing over the theme song for the Avengers. It's- Jason,
3: did we just establish that you're an Italian American Godfather?
2: Yeah, yeah, we have established that. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're now required to kiss my rings every time you see me. Does that yeah. make does,
3: does that make me a conciliary?
2: Uh, uh yeah uh, you you're particularly my conciliary on on um really heady science fiction literature okay.
3: good would you describe me as a wartime conciliary or no no uh, no you're my tom hagen
2: really yeah you're good know, you're good man. with like regular day to day business but we've thrown down some strategy games <laughs> i, I could <can> do this <laughs> so sorry mark you're you're out ah <laughs> uh. Okay, I could. You know, we could do another podcast about the Godfather. I could just just that every week for a year. Um, But so Nick, Nick
3: is the cannoli. You're taking him and leaving me. You pretty much.
2: Uh, Nick, we have some more news, don't we? We do.
0: Uh, Do you guys remember that Dark Tower film slash TV adaptation that was going to happen? Yeah,
2: I remember hearing something.
0: So Ron Howard was attached to it. It It's essentially going to be all seven of Stephen King's Dark Tower books.
3: I'm sorry, you said Ron Howard, and all I could think was, like, Ron Howard in his Arrested Development voice being, like, previously on The Dark Tower,
0: and then just, like, an
3: amazing montage that's, like, silly, you know, sitcom music.
2: Oh, that would be the best, but just have these, like, absolute, like, scenes of, like, you know, horror and terror and excitement. That's awesome. So... It was going to
0: be, I think, a trilogy of movies with a couple of TV series um, mixing those together. So the fate of that is sort of still in the air. Uh, and it was going to be Javier Bardem playing Roland, which is a perfect choice. He was best mm-hmm. known for being that dude who shot the crap out of stuff in No Country for Old Men. Crap out of stuff. So That's,
3: yeah, yeah, you can say say that again. Crap out of stuff. Yes. No, do it again. So,
0: the the again. change here. We don't really know what's happening with that, though. But Russell Crowe is now going to do that instead. No, that's horrible. Oh, no, 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 thank you. Russell Crowe's the gunslinger, dude.
3: I'm, no, he, Russell Crowe is not Roland.
0: You you could be part of Russell Crowe's quartet.
3: I am. I'm out. Oh,
0: yeah. that. This is a truly terrible plan. It's pretty disheartening
3: describes.
0: news. I'm, I'm sure all
2: of this is still up in the air, but his At this point, they should just keep his native accent. Like, if you're going to make it that's <laughs> ridiculous, just like, well, let's just, you know, give him the crazy accent, too. Because now I don't want to hear anything this character has to say. He's, uh, he's going to be
0: fighting around Midworld. <laughs> oh, God.
2: Oh. <laughs> I thought that was a good joke. That was awesome. Yeah. All right. I would uh, t-
3: actually, you know what? If Russell Crowe... No forget Russell Crowe if Tommy Lee Jones wanted to play Roland I might actually be interested in that
0: see because Roland is like an an old like kind of weakened character anyway Right. exactly like That's he's not I'm like saying. a young yes. yeah so Tommy Lee Jones would I was actually because like,
3: the, they're both in no country for old men that might have been a weird leap in logic oh I gotcha yeah yeah oh also Woody Harrelson yep he can play <laughs> every role in the movie and I would go see that movie
2: yeah, actually, I do love me Willie Harrelson. I, it, it's he's he's actually the only reason I'm going to someday watch the Hunger Games movie, just not anytime soon. Oh,
3: we can we can talk about that sometime if you want. <laughs> we, we can talk about that.
2: <laughs> uh, no, I, no. You, do you think you I was kidding? So you haven't seen was, the film,
3: and you still just wanted the story to be from Mitch's perspective?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Hey, Mitch is that he's really oh, about whatever the story. his name yeah. is. It's Hey Mitch. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, bad book. Okay. Um, so. <laughs> You guys remember uh last week we we had a bit of a cliffhanger. Um you were tied in our epic DC Who's Who Universe battle. So I now have for you, written by the lovely Mrs. Jesse Giardino, a tiebreaker question. I, I seem I right seem to
0: recall that Mark was going to try and cheat and Google this as uh do we have any uh Judges over there at the Mullis household that can can watch this.
3: Oh no, absolutely not. But I will. You know what? Hold on. Let me adjust my webcam picture so you could see my iPad. Yep, there it is. You can kind of <laughs> see some, oh, iP- man. some apps there. No, no googling is being done. No Fax, googling. All yeah. right. Hold on. Here's my phone. There, there it is. Okay. Okay. There's no <laughs> I to touch my Google
0: screen this. where I see your touch screen, will will anything happen? <laughs> <laughs>
3: You will get fingerprints on your monitor. That's what will happen.
2: Yeah. <laughs> okay, real quick about that. So um, I've, been, I've been... And this is, once again, a sign of my age because it's not an exaggeration. I've been using like the point-and-click mouse system for longer than young Nick has been alive without that's, exaggeration. No, that's... that. No. Really? No. Hold on, yeah. let's do some
3: math here. You're 38?
2: Uh, 37, thank you. <laughs>
3: I'm Sorry. 26.
2: I'm Sorry. mature. Well, I'm growing okay. up, bro.
3: Right. Yeah, okay. So if you started around 11...
2: Yeah, 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 I got I, okay. Yeah, yeah, you know, longer than Young Nixon. That's male
3: actually. Alive. That's actually. You know what? I'm gonna be the arbiter of what's accurate mathematics, and um, yeah, according to the rules of subtraction, Jason is correct.
2: Okay, thank you, thank you. Uh, and I ended up uh, getting you know the, the iPad in in May, and after one month of using my iPad, and, like just having it next to me, like while I'm doing regular work, I will start touching my regular laptop screen, trying to click on things, and so. The, I, the iPad interface has broken 26 years of training oh, yeah. in like a month. Oh, it's I, insane.
3: You think it's bad? You should get a Mac and work with Safari. <laughs> it is like impossible not your just brain like just,
2: meh. Yep. Yeah, no, everything needs to touch me now. All right, the tiebreaker. So here's how the tiebreaker is going to work, gentlemen. This is actually an open-ended question. This, is
3: not, uh, this is not your best Peter Sagel voice. Oh. Um, all right, so
2: here's how the tiebreaker is going to work.
3: It's not bad. It's not bad.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't do impressions very well. But, uh, but what we're going to do here, it's going to be an open-ended question. I'm going to give each of you a chance to, to answer it, and whoever is closest to the correct answer will win the tiebreaker. All right. I, I, uh, I flipped a coin before the recording, and Nick won. Yes! <laughs> so, here's, here's your tiebreaker question. From what does the Yellow Perry... Yellow Perry, P-E-R-I, derive her powers? From what? So, the Yellow Perry is a superhero in the DC Universe, and she got some superpowers somehow. How did she get them?
0: Hmm. Well, the Green Lantern's green, and he's weak (laughs) against Yellow. So, the answer is a bird. A canary. <laughs> Nick, is with, <laughs> Nick is Mark, going with. Nick is going with a looking, canary. What you looking down at over there, Mark?
3: I'm looking. Uh, yeah, believe it really, me, it's not related. Look, <laughs> if you can find a way to construe this image as being related, yeah, you got that. You know what that is, right there? That's a picture of a human peritoneum. Okay, so that's. Is that what the yellow peri uh, derives her out. powers from? Well, he said p p e r i, right?
2: P-E-R-I, yep. the yellow peri.
3: Right. Um, the peritoneum is the serious membrane that forms the lining of the abdominal cavity, or the co... Oh, God. I don't want to try to pronounce science words right now.
2: <laughs> um,
3: it is a... <laughs> Nothing in this Wikipedia entry doesn't have science words in it.
2: I, I like that Marcus cheating, but just being so open and honest about it.
3: <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't look up Yellow Perry. <laughs> I looked up <laughs> Peritoneum for, for no evident reason, because it's neither supplying humor nor an answer to this question. That was useless. All
2: right, Mark. So, Nick uh, Canary, what you got?
3: All right. We're asking, so we know that this is a female character? Yes. Okay. And Nick described this as being an analog to the Green Lantern.
2: Yes, but he doesn't really know.
3: Okay, um, let's see. Yellow, I'm going to use that also as the springboard for my answer. Um, April O'Neil, I recall, also wore a yellow jumpsuit in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. There could be some parallel there, but i rather think not. Um, Is this for Power Crack reporting? I, <laughs> <laughs> no, Nick, I said, i rather think not. Uh, rather, I think that there is some metaphorical element at play here with the yellow. Um, so, quite ironically, I think that the yellow Perry was one of the more conceptual characters in the history of the Detectives Comics universe. Um, Detective Detective Comics. Hmm. Yes. Um, yes. Whatever DC stands for. And... Uh, the the, the the heady concept at play here is that the yellow Perry actually derives her powers from her own cowardice. So she's yellow. She's chicken. As she gets more and more terrified of a situation, she grows more and more powerful to handle the situation. <laughs> okay. What do you think
0: about a third answer as to she der- derives her power from Steve Perry? <laughs>
3: <laughs> or Rick Perry, the Texas governor.
2: All right, so everyone both- loves
3: Rick Perry. This podcast <laughs> just got political.
2: Oh, that's dangerous. Okay, uh, <laughs> so you're both dead wrong, but I am going to actually have to award it to Nick. What? No, because Nick named an external object, which is what derives you <laughs> your powers from. Where you named something internal, Mark. So actually, the correct answer was magic book. It was a magic book. So we tell you a little about Yellow Perry. She reads a magic book and it transforms her into the Yellow Perry. Her magic often backfires, and once she tried to use her powers to help her sell timeshares in the Poconos, and Superman had to come in to set her straight.
3: You know, Rick Perry doesn't understand the uh, economic ramifications of externalities either, so.
0: I, mean, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's I thought not we were going to have to get into like an animal, vegetable, mineral debate there for a minute. I was kind of worried.
2: <laughs> so, so Nick, just just by a hair, by simply naming something that was not insider – Wins the tiebreaker, but I think we'll have to play this again, perhaps, with our good friend uh, Chris Rippey when he has a chance to rejoin us. Yeah,
3: Nick, Nick so, the mere fact that I said Detectives Comics means that you deserved to win this one. So <laughs> I congratulate you, sir.
0: So what's my, what's my prize?
2: Oh, I, I'm going to record the message on your, your voicemail.
0: Yes. Actually, that'd be <laughs> kind of awesome. I just got like, Google Voice. I should have you do that.
2: Oh, which, by the way, if you ever want some real entertainment, um, listen to Paul F. Tompkins dramatically read transcripts from Google Voice. Um, they are the best thing ever. (laughs) That sounds pretty fantastic. Uh, All right, well, guys, uh, I think that just about does it for this week.
3: Yes, but um, before we go, I want to mention that next week we have something super, super exciting coming up.
2: Oh, we're talking about that.
3: Yes, let's talk about that. Nick, talk about that.
0: You better believe we are interviewing author Stephen Gould, perhaps best known for his 1992 sci-fi novel Jumper, and he most recently published a book that all three of us are reading slash have read seventh sigma i
3: think that was in 2008 is that correct i believe so somewhere, pretty recently somewhere, somewhere around there it's pretty awesome i'm enjoying it i'm really looking forward to this interview Stephen gould uh is coming to denver um he's a new mexico he's a new mexican right Correct. Yes, which is such a fantastic literary community. Um, anyway, yeah, we're doing that next week. I'm, I'm very, very excited about that. So we'll have a bit of an abbreviated episode because the first half of the episode will be our interview with this great author. So yeah, that's going to be awesome.
2: Yeah, really looking forward to that. That's gonna be that's definitely going to be a fun time. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quite excited as well. So yeah, everyone uh, has a chance to look forward to that next week. Uh, in the meantime, uh, don't forget, you can find us on the web at aldmachine.org. Uh, as always, we definitely want your comments. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you hate. Uh, and uh, you can find us on the Twitters. Um, the podcast is at at ALD Machine. Mark is at at MarkUsesPAR. Uh, I'm at at Jason Giardino. And uh, Nick is at at MazerNickham, because he went for a super cool Twitter name. Yes. Good job, Nick. And uh, you should follow us on the Twitter. You'll, you'll see such things as Nick asking me questions about uh, the history of the comic book ROM. <laughs> which I really enjoyed digging those old issues out. That was a good time. Uh, I'll have to show you guys uh, my issue of ROM, where ROM Um, Power Man and Iron Fist break into the Baxter building and in every panel despite the fact it's a graphic novel they describe exactly what they're doing
3: quite coincidentally Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel also rules with an iron fist oh we're still political (laughs) we're still political
2: (laughs) alright before Mark uh, gets us in more political trouble uh, we want to wish everyone a uh, very happy beginning of August go check out those uh, curiosity pictures they're amazing and uh, we hope you have a wonderful week